0: Hi, Derek Campana here. On my show Wizard of Paws, I help animals get moving again, and hopefully with a lot less pain. Whether it's prosthetics for ponies or braces for beagles, I custom build solutions so they can live their best lives. Every animal has a unique story with pet owners who love them, and it's my goal to find a solution that works for each one of them. Watch Wizard of Paws on BYU TV or the free BYU TV app. If you missed last Sunday's service, we were looking at our vision for this upcoming year in this season that we live in, and uh, you, can, you can go onto our website. The video is available as well as the audio message. I encourage you to listen to it. Um, I really believe this is going to be a great year of maturation, momentum, miracles, and multiplication. Are you ready for that? How many believe that a year of maturity where we just see great growth in our individual lives and as a church, a year of momentum where things just begin to happen, things we've been praying about, we begin to reap where others have sown and even where we've sown, and then also miracles. We're believing for miracles. We're we're seeing miracles. The last um, if night we had, well, last month, it would have been at our um, Presence Encounter, we had so many miracles happen, so many people heal. That was just unbelievable. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We just came back from Kenya, and while we were there, we literally saw. I personally, I've seen many miracles in my life. I've traveled to many nations, and I've seen many amazing things happen. But I'll tell you, there was just something very profound that happened. We saw uh, several people that were deaf completely, their ears opened Blind eyes opened when we were there. Um, It was just um, absolutely amazing. And in fact, the last night of the crusade, one of the young men who was healed on the second night came back to the crusade with a doctor's report saying the doctor he would not believe me. I told him I can see, and the doctor said he was blind in one eye, his right eye. Said the doctor said no, there's no way, And and they even laughed at him, and they ran the tests. And they were totally blown away, the fact that he could see. And they gave him a report. I said, so what did they say? He said, they didn't say much. They just said, we don't know what happened. And he told them, of course, it was Jesus. So it's amazing. Yeah, so many things, and we're still waiting on on hearing other reports as well. But uh, come on out tonight if you're sick. If you know someone is sick, please invite people. If you know someone that just needs a touch from God in whatever way. Invite them out tonight. We start at six o'clock. Amen. All right. So this morning we're going to continue on a series I started on the 5th of February. No, was it the 5th? No, it was the 4th, I believe, was the Sunday. Um, and on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. So I'm going to ask you just to take your Bible. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. It's a very familiar verse of scripture if you've been a christian for more than probably six months Um, it speaks about john john the baptizer i don't like to call him john the baptist because how many know there weren't any denominations so he wasn't a baptist all right seriously all right like jesus wasn't a nazarene either like in the sense do you have the nazarene denomination here Okay, so, anyway, so, <laughs> he, he, was, he was John the Baptizer, let's call him that, right? Let's, let's make it an action thing. So, yeah, and, you know, it, it, it's not about denominations, right? So, but John had a very unique and specific calling, didn't he? What was his calling? Well, his specific mission was to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, And he did so by baptizing people in water unto repentance, all the while pointing them to the greater one, the one, the Messiah, Jesus, the one he said, he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire." I love the way it states it in the New Living Translation. Let's look at it. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone who is coming soon, who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, let me just talk a little bit about John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus. John baptized into the element of water for the purpose of expressing repentance, correct? Jesus' baptism was a baptism unto life. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism unto life. How do we know that? Because in the book of Acts, in the 11th chapter, when Peter is speaking about how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, he actually, at the conclusion of of Peter sharing this, James says, well, obviously, God has granted life to the Gentiles. So, it's a baptism unto life. So, there's this baptism in water that John spoke about, which this was a... Preparing, our, preparing oneself for the coming of Messiah. So what happens is there's a turning from sin, but there has to be a turning unto Jesus. Do you understand that? So we turn from sin and we embrace righteousness. If we're not embracing righteousness, if we're not embracing the fullness of the life of Jesus Christ, then all we are is an empty shell. We might be a, a, a moral empty shell, but that's all we are. You see, we've got to have the life of the Spirit. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38 for a moment. This is not on the PowerPoint, but Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Here's what happens. It's the day of Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, right? And they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to preach, tells everybody that Jesus is the Messiah, and then they cry out and they say, so what should we do? And they were cut to the heart. And so, he says to them, every one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he says this, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's look at this for a moment. See, there are a lot of Christians who have, been, who have repented, they've been baptized in water, but they've not received the fullness of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've only got two-thirds of what God's plan is. You see, in fact, if you look at that, if you break that down grammatically in the Greek language, here's what he's saying. The, the, The main purpose of Jesus' coming is so we would receive the Holy Spirit. The reason why we repent is so we can be we receive the gift of God. We walk worthy of what Jesus did. We don't receive the grace of God in vain in order that we can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we don't repent, if we don't ex- then we're not going to experience that. Now, we, we, somebody says, well, what does it mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? Well, first of all, recognize that you don't always have to be baptized in water to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Correct. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be baptized in water. We should. It's a commandment. It's very, very important. And a lot of people have been baptized in water, and they've not really repented. And so, their baptism really was void. So, if you've not repented, if you've not really said, okay, Jesus, I surrender everything like we sang about today, but you just go through this motion of, of water baptism, a ritual, a rite, then it's not legitimate. But the whole idea is you repent And then you get baptized, but there are some times, like in Acts chapter 10, that while Peter's preaching to the Gentiles, they obviously open their hearts. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues, but they had not baptized in water at this point. They weren't baptized till later. That's my experience too, by the way. I was baptized in water after I received the Holy Spirit. So this is something that takes place in in our lives. So, there's no pattern here. There's no set way, well, we have to do it this way. But we recognize that when you open your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, yes, I believe, and then what takes place is ultimately there should be a repentance, there should be water baptism, but we have to realize that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is what this is all about. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot... Live this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. So the initial fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of John's word. I baptize you in water unto repentance, but there's one coming after me. He's greater than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So, John baptized in water, Jesus baptized in Holy Spirit and fire. The word baptize in the Greek language means to immerse, to saturate, and it can also be used of a marinade. Interestingly, there's actually, if you look at Uh, classical Greek, they actually have found recipes where they tell you how to marinate meat, and the word they use is baptizo, which means baptize. So, God wants to marinate you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Is that good? All right. So, the idea is it literally means where God surrounds you. He permeates you. He fills you. So that the Holy Spirit is not only in you, but around you, all through you. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Remember the time when Jesus, on the very night he was betrayed, and they said, so who's going to betray you? And he said, it's he who takes the bread and dips it. All right? Guess what the word dip is? Baptizo, baptize. So that's the idea. Think about a a piece of bread being dipped in, in wine or grape juice. right? What happens to that piece of bread, right? It takes on the substance of the element that it's dipped in, correct? And so, what happens is when we are dipped in the river of God, which is the Holy Spirit, then we take on the actual identity, the nature of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the cool thing is we not only are to experience this once, there's an initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we're to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because wine, wine's a knockoff. Do you understand what I'm saying? Earthly, worldly drunkenness is a knockoff. It's a cheap substitute for the life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine because what does that do? It leads to dissipation. It leads to corruption. It messes up your life, makes you sick, makes you so you can't function properly, you know. And it just causes problems for your life when you're given to drunkenness. Plus, the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and so, this type of thing is, is a reality. But don't be drunk with wine which leads to dissipation or corruption, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek is in the present tense, which means keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's one baptism, but you've got to be filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We all need a daily, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because you're a leaky vessel, and we need the Holy Spirit. We need to learn. As we're in this world, you know, there's things that happen, there's, there's struggles that we have with, with unbelief. There's, there's things that we need to contend for. And it brings us to a place where we have to depend on God. If God just gave us everything in a one-shot deal, then guess what? Most of us wouldn't stay dependent on him. He, he gives us, the Bible says, grace for grace. It says, of the fullness of his spirit we've all received. But then it talks about how it happens grace by grace, measure by measure. You don't get it all in the sense that we receive everything. We've got to constantly be going after more of the Holy Spirit, a fresh infilling. So on the day of Pentecost, which was a Hebrew festival, the initial fulfillment of John the Baptizer's prophecy takes place. So this is three and a half years after John speaks about the coming of the Messiah He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire when he comes. Three and a half years later, Jesus has has, uh, impacted the nation of Israel. He's raised up a team. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died. He's been raised to new life. And then he's raised to the right hand of the Father. And before he goes, he says, don't go anywhere. Wait. Terry in Jerusalem, he said, because I'm about to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And so what takes place is after 10 days, after Jesus, uh, after, after well, what happens on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus dies, and literally the day of Pentecost is 50 days exactly after his death. But 40 days, he's on the earth. He's showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. But then at that moment when he speaks to them and he's about to ascend to the Father, he tells them to go into Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He gave them a commission. Go out, preach the gospel to all the nations of the world. Preach remission of sin in my name. But then hang on, hang on, hold on a minute. Don't go yet. Wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The word tarry means sit down. So stay in the city of Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere yet because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. I've called you to be world changers. I've called you to preach the gospel to the nations. But you cannot do this in in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So tarry in Jerusalem. So they do. For 10 days, we're told in Acts chapter 1, can can you imagine 120 people in one room? I've been into that, well, what they say is that room in Jerusalem, and it's not that big, and there's 120 of them crammed into this area, and there they are praying 10 days together, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And they're not doing really anything else. They're just praying They're worshiping, they're seeking God, and then on the 10th day, which is the day of Pentecost, the Hebrew festival, there something happens. We read in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Wow, what an amazing thing. Can you imagine that? There's this sound from heaven. Now, it doesn't say they experienced a, the blowing of, of a wind. And it says that they heard the sound from heaven, and what they heard was like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. One other translation says "A fierce, violent blowing wind. This was not the Fremantle you know doctor, okay This was not a cool ocean breeze we 're talking about now. This is a wind storm. This is an f5 tornado okay this you guys don 't know what tornadoes are okay. Uh, I'll tell you what, tornadoes are more destructive. It's, they're, they're deadly. And the wind is so violent, so fierce. And this is what he's talking about. And he's saying what takes place is there's this wind, the sound of this wind, and then there's fire. Interestingly, the word for spirit, meaning Holy Spirit in the Greek language is pneuma. Pneuma can also be translated breath. It can be translated spirit, and it can be translated wind. So the Holy Spirit is the holy breath of God. He's the holy wind of God, and he's the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. So they experience the holy wind, but there's also fire, right? So you will be baptized with holy wind and fire. You're going to be baptized with holy wind and fire. So it's an amazing thing. I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus use these metaphors? Why did he speak particularly of fire? Why didn't he just say, well, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit? I believe the reason is because he was trying to make a point. The point is when you encounter the fullness of my Holy Spirit, You are not going to be able to stay the same. You are going to experience something undeniable, something tangible, something strong, something fierce. How many have been burnt by fire? That's a terrible thing, isn't it? Fire has great power, it can be very destructive. We've seen bushfires. We know the damage that they can do. James speaks about this, chapter 3, verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Think about that. So fire has great power. It has the ability to destroy. And yet Jesus speaks about fire. He's speaking about fire in a constructive way because we know that fire, if harnessed properly, can be of great benefit to humankind. Science teaches us that fire is the heat and light energy released during a combustion reaction. And we know that internal combustion engines run on the energy that is produced on fire. So, guns, they run on the energy that that operate on the energy produced by fire. You would know about guns here. But um, I'll tell you, it, it's the fact is that fire is has got power, doesn't it? Fire is capable of producing power, and it's very important. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit and fire, we're talking about power like none other. There is no power greater than the Holy Spirit because he is resurrection power. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this, that... The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Wow! Think about that. So Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus that they would have a resurrection revelation. What does he say? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 here, verse number 19 and 20. I do pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is what Paul is praying, that you will understand, that you will grasp, that you will appropriate, that you will know this resurrection power. This power comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word power we know is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis means divine ability, miraculous power, marvelous works, God's supernatural miraculous ability. In Luke chapter 10 verse 13, he's speaking to Bethsaida and Chorazin and he says, "Woe to you if the works that had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. The word that he translates works there, or mighty works, you'll see in some other translations, is translated miracles, and it's the word dunamis. If the dunamis that was performed in you, if the miracles, if the mighty works that was performed in your cities had been performed in even Sodom and Gomorrah, he said they would have repented. So, it's a very important thing. So, he speaks of divine ability, miraculous power, marvelous works. Interestingly, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, every one of us receives supernatural divine ability. Jesus made this point in a parable that we refer to as a parable of the talents. And let's look at this, Matthew 25, verse 15. He's speaking about three servants And they were respectively given five, two, and one talent of silver. So think of it this way three servants. One is given um, five bags of silver. Another is given two bags of silver. Another one is given one bag of silver. These amounts were distributed to them in proportion to their ability, is what it says. In proportion to their ability. So he expected them to generate profit. The master was looking for return on his investment. To one, he says, here's five. To another, here's two. And then to the third one, here's one. I expect a return on my investment. I want profit. Now, why did he give one person five, another two, and one one? Because he knew their ability. Interestingly, the word translated ability there is dunamis, So it doesn't speak of natural ability. Do you understand this? God does not expect us to live our Christian life to do anything with our natural talents or gifts. I can actually make a point here. Do you know that when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to forsake their natural talents and abilities in many cases? These guys were fishermen. But what did he say? I'll make you fishers of men they could have said, look, Jesus, we got a great idea. How about we follow you, but we'll keep this business on the side here. We'll generate income to be able to support your ministry. But the specific call to them was to what? Forsake that. I'm not saying that everyone forsakes their job. But the point I'm trying to make is that they were called to forsake that, correct? Now, if I was Jesus and I was looking to, fi- to hire someone to be part of my team, I would look for people that had the abilities and the gifts, correct? And that's still true today. So, just follow me. Just track with me. Don't lose me, all right? So, what happens is Jesus needs a treasurer. Who does he choose? I would have chosen Matthew. He worked for the government, the tax department. But who did he choose? He chose a thief. Well, that makes sense. Uh, but that's him Jesus chose. The point is he didn't chose, choose someone who, you know, his CV was, oh, yeah, you're good. I, I need someone. You, you, you've worked with the government. You're good at, for the Romans. You, you, can, you can be my treasurer. He chose someone who was not qualified in the natural. Why? Because the call qualifies, right? The call qualifies, right? God doesn't call the qualifiers, but he qualifies the called. So the point is, God says, I'm going to give you ability, supernatural ability. You're going to be able to do things that you weren't able to do. Most notably, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, yeah, come and follow me and I'll teach you how to do these things. That's amazing. But the whole Christian life is all about living according to the ability that God gives us. We're not called to do this in our own strength, in our own power, by human ability, in other words. Do you understand that when, when we minister void of the Spirit's anointing, We fail to place the focus on Christ and his power, and we draw attention, maybe unwittingly, to mere human ability and giftedness. And when this happens, we subtly, and again, unwittingly often, promote a a form of idolatry. But it's only when we minister in the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that we can ensure that people's faith is in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. Look at this Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, Paul speaking. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power, right? Why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's look at First. Peter chapter 4 verse 11, another amazing verse that emphasizes this point. Do you have the gift of speaking? This is a New Living. Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Whoa. Whoa. Let's stop there. Do you have the gift of speaking? Oh, how many say nope? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> then Speak. As though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Oh, yeah, you know, it's my gift. It's not, God doesn't want us to do things. Look at yes, we have human ability and we have natural talents. But even then, what we do, we must do in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the disciples are fishing all night. They're skilled, professional, commercial fishermen. They can't catch any fish. Jesus, a carpenter, rocks up, gets in the boat, tells them to let down the net, and what happens? Boom! An amazing, miraculous catch of fish, point taken. It's not about our natural abilities, Because why? Let's look at the rest of verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. We are to give him glory. How do we give him glory? We die to our giftedness, our ways, our natural talents, and we step into the spirit of God. We step into the power of the Holy Spirit. And if God has given you a particular gift, and I'm not saying that, that you don't have gifts that you learned, when you know, that you acquired or their natural ability. Some people are born with these gifts. But the bottom line is there are what are called gifts of the Spirit as well. And these are actually called grace gifts in the Greek. Karis gifts, charisma, and it literally means grace that comes from God, and it's not something that we can do in our own strength. It's not something that we can do on our own. You can't prophesy accurately reading someone's mail, knowing the secrets of their heart and your own abilities. You can't heal cancer with your own ability. There are many wealthy people that would love to have that gift, and they'd pay all that they own. But the bottom line is it can't be purchased. It can't be bought. It's a gift from God. It's supernatural divine ability. Do you, you can have supernatural divine ability in your business. You can, you can have God speak to you, give you wisdom, give you revelation, give you a strategy that comes. And it's not wisdom from man. It's wisdom that comes from God. God. You can have that, and that's the way we are because when the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, the reason why it says that he was the wisest man that ever lived in in 1 Kings chapter 3 is because he had a hearing heart is what it says in the Hebrew. He had a hearing heart. Why was he so wise? Just like Jesus in John 5, 19. I don't do anything on my own, but I only do on the earth what I see my Father doing in heaven. Uh, The reason why Solomon was so wise is because he was constantly, he had a hearing heart. He was hearing from the Father. The Father was his teacher. Like Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 and 5, where it talks about, I have the ear of a disciple. Morning by morning, he awakens me. He speaks to me. I have an ear of a disciple. He teaches me. He begins to reveal things to me. I have come to a place. I'm not perfect by any means. I miss it still. But I've come to a place where I've said to God, God, when I need wisdom, I'm just going to ask you. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's what it says in James chapter 1, right? If any among you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so I said, God, I need wisdom. And all of a sudden, wow, God just gives me something. This is what you need to do. This is what's happening here. It may look this way, but this is really what's happening here. And you have the supernatural insight. You have divine revelation. And you'll be able to speak into a situation, a circumstance. You're able to implement a plan or a strategy. And it becomes because of your private time, of your devotion, of your intimacy and your communion with God. And out of that happens is that infilling of the Spirit that keeps flowing into you, that supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a day when many in the church have got it all wrong. What we do, we do for the most part with our own strength, with our own ability. Are we some, and we don't recognize that there's even a place you can go and worship with the power and the anointing of God that you cannot go with your own giftedness. There's a place in serving that you can go in terms of effectiveness that you'd never be able to do with your own gifts or ability. In business, the same. In preaching, in teaching, no matter what it is, in healing, you can have a supernatural ability. We have a friend in America. He and his wife—he's he's one of the, the most respected uh, cancer doctors in the world—is a private practice. Wealthy people from all over the world fly to him to be treated, in particular for melanoma. His wife has been a Christian for several years, but about five or six years ago, he got fi- he got touched by the Spirit of God. He got filled with the Holy Spirit, and when we. We're living in America. What we used to do is they invited us into their office. Every Thursday afternoon, we would go into their office... And they actually would close the office early, and they'd open it up and have a Bible study and, and praying for the Holy Spirit to move. You walk in the office, there's Scripture verses everywhere. There's Bibles everywhere. There's tracts. There's everything. When you go in to be treated by them, the, they actually get you to sign a form. And on that form, it says, will you allow us to pray for you in the name of Jesus Christ? And they've even had Muslims tick the box, Yes. And so they, get, they pray for people, and they've seen people healed of cancer. They've seen people baptized with the Holy Spirit and saved in, in, as they're being treated. And you see, we're in there and we're ministering, and the whole point is the power of God is moving in such a way that even this medical practice, he's got all the plaques on the wall, voted best doctor 2014, voted best doctor in, in his field 2015, 16, 17, and so on. And he's got all those plaques on the wall. And yet, he says, I can't do this without Jesus. I can't do this without Jesus. He said, the reason why I'm successful is because I've trusted in the Lord, and he's taken my practice to another level. And he's given me strength and supernatural ability and wisdom to even deal with situations at times that my training did not prepare me for. Come on, hallelujah. There is an anointing. There is a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We were created to have communion with the Holy Spirit. We are created for dunamis power. We are created to see miracles. We are created for divine ability. And the world so desperately needs to see the power of the Holy Spirit. The credentials. How many know you can have an ordination certificate? A bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctorate, or whatever you have. Jesus had none of those. Jesus had none of those. He, he never t- formally trained at the first theological seminary of the Pharisees. Right? Jesus was taught by His Father. Jesus knew the Word. Now, he you, you wasn't, look, you couldn't just, like, open your iPhone and an app, guys. I mean, these, he didn't even have access. Remember, the New Testament wasn't available. He didn't even have access to, like, the Old Testament, like, it's in a book and you can just carry it with you. We're talking about scrolls, guys. Scrolls. Like, one scroll for Isaiah is, like, this big and you got to carry it on your shoulder. Right? So, it's, like, very laborious, very tedious to study the Bible back in those days. And Jesus knew it inside out. Jesus knew it even better than the Pharisees did, and they had memorized the Torah, the Pentateuch. So Jesus was a man who was accredited. His credentials was the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says this in the New King James Version. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. He was attested by God. The word attested means to show off, to show off. God was showing off the Son. Come on, isn't that good? He was showing off the Son. How did He show Him off? Miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did. God did. Notice that it even says that about Jesus, that God was the one who did the miracles. Come on. All right, think about that, right? A Son can do nothing on His own. All right, John 5, 19. So, so God did the miracles through Him. Wow. Let's look at the New Living Translation. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. Oh, that's so good. God publicly endorsed the Son. The NIV says he was accredited by God through miracles, signs, and wonders. His credentials were the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that God was operating in his life. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. People are going to know that God is with us, not because of how eloquent, educated, or, or you know, expertise level that we possess, but they're going to know because of the anointing. Because people can look at you and say, wow, that person, he's trained really well. You know, you, you listen to some people. And, and we, particularly in North America, you can pick this up, there's Christian radio everywhere you go, and you're listening to Dr. such and such, and he's preaching, and, and uh, you're listening to what he's saying, and it's theologically sound, it's brilliant, but yet there's just something missing. What is it that's missing? There's no power, there's no authority. So like Jesus said, you know, that they were marveled at Jesus because he wasn't like the scribes, he, didn't, he spoke as one having authority. It wasn't that his message was always different either. Because he said, do as the the Pharisees tell you, but just, just don't live the way they live. So the point is that, you know, it wasn't that his message was so profoundly different. But it was, now he's speaking, there's weight, there's authority, there's anointing, there's power in what he's saying. And it's called the anointing. It's called the dunamis power of the Holy Ghost. And that's what made all the difference. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. God confirms, the word literally means testifies. God confirms the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know what, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign? Right? You start talking about seeing people healed, start talking about biblical New Testament miracles, and somebody says, oh, brother, aren't we not, the Bible says, not to seek after a sign because an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, right? I sounded like Reinhard Bonnke there, didn't I? But the point is, yeah, the Bible does say it, but not to believers, to religious Pharisees who won't believe. Jesus, you just did all these miracles. Give us a sign. Like, He just did all these miracles, and yet, oh, just give us a sign, you know. And so, the whole point is, it's not to tell us. We are to actually go after signs and wonders. We are to believe God for signs and wonders. Huh? In fact, the Bible says these signs shall follow them. Signs are to follow us. You know, somebody says, if signs aren't following you, then you need to follow signs until they start following you. But the point of the matter is, you know, please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. There are people that they're not into the Word. They're not into, they get all caught up in this stuff that's, you know, not scriptural. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying we need the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. Believe. Not apostles only or prophets or evangelists or pastors and teachers. Those that believe. One of the things is what? They're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So these are signs that what? Those who believe. Believers. Are you a believer? Right? If you're not a believer, you're an unbeliever. So, right? So, if you, (laughs) if these signs follow believers. So, mm, do I even dare go there, Lord? Yes, the Holy Spirit said go there. If we are not experiencing signs and wonders, then we are unbelieving believers. We we experience God on our terms. We experience God according to what we expect, what we permit him to do in our lives. But if we're not intentional about making room for the Holy Spirit to move, we will not see signs follow us. Is that good? So what do we do? I can assure you this, that if you never pray for anyone sick, you will have a 100% success rate of seeing no one healed. I guarantee it. But if you pray for sick people, and you say, well, I've just prayed for four people and no one was healed. Well, that's exactly what happened to John G. Lake. That's exactly what happened to to many of the great saints that were used so powerfully. They prayed, nothing happened. They prayed again, nothing happened. They prayed in times, and then maybe something happened, but then someone else wasn't healed. Why is it that we don't see 100% healing? I don't know, but I do know Jesus did. And I recognize that my faith level isn't at the place of Jesus Christ. So there is a deeper place I can go in my faith. While we were in Kenya, we prayed for people, saw many people healed. But yet I know there are people I prayed for that have not been healed. I know there are Christians that are dealing with things in their life. So why is it? What do we say? Well, it's it's not God's will? Like, what does... Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, Acts 10, 38. So why do, what do we say? How many have seen loved ones die? You prayed for them. I, I, I happened, that happened to my mother. Absolutely. Prayed for her, prayed for her, prayed for her. She wasn't healed. She died. I know what it's like. But what does that mean? We just stop believing in healing? Absolutely not. Because God is a healer. The word salvation means just as much to heal as it does forgive. So God is a healing God. I don't know. I don't understand it all. But I do know this. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And I didn't do that in Sunday school. I must be much older than that. But I will tell you, I, we, Jeff and I did it in Kenya just like a week ago. Okay? So... God is good, and all the time, on the Kenyans, right? So, the fact is that we recognize that God is a healing God. And I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to believe. I'd rather believe and not see it. I'd rather believe and see 80% of people healed and not believe and see 100% of people not healed. We've got to believe. We've got to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting In our day, we are going to see great signs and wonders. You see, how do we pierce the darkness? How many know that we are living in dark days? Isaiah 60, right? Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. Right? But the Lord is risen upon you, and His glory shall be seen upon you. We pierce the darkness by the power of the Holy Spirit and the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures is found in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse number 6. The New King James says that when Philip went to Samaria, listen, Philip was a Jew. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. There was racial tension between Samaritans and Jews. But God didn't send a Samaritan to go to them. Would it not make sense to send someone who knows the language, the culture? Like, if you want an ambassador, if you're wanting to negotiate with people, you, you send someone who understands their ways. Someone who's familiar with the way they think, their culture, their political system, for example. But God doesn't do things that way. God does not send another Samaritan. God sends a Jew. And the natural, it's like sending someone from a, another, you know, ethnic group to a place where they're extremely hostile and prejudiced against that ethnic group. But he sends Philip into the midst of Samaria, and Philip begins to preach the gospel And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 6, the people in one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. In one accord, they heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They listened because of the miracles. They listened. It had nothing to do with who he was, what political party he was affiliated with, you know, his skin color, his education, his ethnicity. His, the language he spoke, it had everything to do with the anointing. God said, we're going to break all these cultural barriers. We're going to transcend all of these barriers. And I'm going to do this by sending the least likely person in. But I'm going to put my spirit upon him. And my glory is going to be revealed so that people will recognize and put their faith not in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And I am definitely preaching real." Really good right now. Come on. Give Jesus glory. Mark 16, 20. The disciples went everywhere and preached. Wow. First thing we need to do is go everywhere and preach. Well, tell the world that Jesus lives. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So good, so good. If we, as his people, will step into this power, this power has been made available to us, I can tell you, you're going to start seeing people get saved. You're going to start seeing your prayers answered. There's going to be a shift in the spiritual atmosphere because we're going to break through the darkness. There's some people that don't even believe for their loved ones to be saved. You stop believing. You stop. It's not even like on your radar. Your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, your, your, your family members, they're lost without Jesus. According to the Bible, that's not a good thing. According to that Bible, their eternal state is not good. But we don't even pray. We don't even believe, some of us. And God's saying, like, come on, guys. I want to answer your prayers. I want to show you my power. I want to manifest my glory. And we can, we, we can be like the disciples and fish all night trying to do it in our own strength. Nothing happens. No breakthrough. No answered prayer. Nothing shifts. Because why? Because we're not doing it in dunamis power. We're trying to do it by human effort, and it won't work. We're not getting the breakthrough. So Jesus gives them this commission. He gives them the commission. The worship team would come. And the commission is this. I'm going to all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, remission of sins, beginning in Jerusalem, right? And it says this. But before you go and do it, Luke 24:49, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with what? dunamis from on high. The word terry means sit down. The word endued means to be clothed, to be cloaked, to be covered, to be clothed with power from on high. You need supernatural power. You need to wear this anointing. It's not just something that that you see or something that you do, you need to be fitted with this anointing. You need to be literally enveloped, covered, and clothed with this anointing before you go out and do what I've called you to do. Because in the natural, you aren't strong enough, smart enough, rich enough, wise enough, powerful enough, whatever it takes, you're not enough. But in your weakness, my grace is sufficient. So let me do what only I can do, let me move in your life and let me use you and begin to see what will happen if you allow my dunamis power to operate in your life. Let's stand together, please. We're going to pray. El Todos Hablamos McDonald's Deal. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar y la tía Carmen te dice, McNuggets, mijo, y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita, ¿sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets Nuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo $6. Precios y participación pueden variar producto individual a precio regular. Last time when you were at the pump, did you catch yourself thinking, why am I spending all my money on gas? Drive less, save more. Ride Coda. The new Transit app makes riding Coda as easy as tap, tap, go. Plus, we'll help you get started with a $4.50 account credit when you download the Transit app and set up your Coda account. What are you waiting for? Download the Transit app today. Learn more at Coda.com slash Transit app.